Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Well, hello, everybody, and uh, welcome back to another episode of GodPod. And uh, uh, it's always good to engage with um, GodPod listeners uh, for yet another conversation. And um, every conversation on GodPod is really interesting, but today promises to be particularly interesting and different from what we've done before. Um, and we have, as on our home team, myself, uh, Graham Tomlin. We also have Jane Williams with us. Hello, Jane. Hi. Good to be here. And uh, today we have a guest, and uh, we don't we don't have Mike with us this time. Um, so apologies for the Mike fans out there. You're going to have to kind of going to do without him for this one, but he'll be back in a future Godpod. Um, but we do have a very special guest today, who is uh, Dr. Anna Westin. And um, so Anna, Anna, it's great to have you with us on Godpod. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great, and Anna. Um, you wanted to, to um, I mean, we'd love to, see, to, to hear a little bit about yourself and your background. I mean, I was reading about your areas of research, which sounds absolutely fascinating on the philosophy and theology of embodiment and existentialism and phenomenology and ethics, human rights, political philosophy. That's a pretty big range of things. Um, and I think you're also a musician, aren't you? you have produced albums yes yeah that's right a proper musician you don't just sort of you know trying a guitar in, in your spare room like i do but um you, you actually do sort of produce songs and albums and everything else which is fascinating so um um so i mean to, to, to begin with what what got you into the areas of research that you have found yourself in uh over the years and what, what, what sort of started your kind of you know journey into theology as it were i think I've kind of as as a good existentialist, I, I always kind of came from lived experience. So, I um, I've always been, I think I've been interested as a writer, but then um, also as a philosopher in how how our experiences shape our reality um, and and kind of as as a follower of Jesus, how does my understanding of myself, uh, my understanding of God, how does that interact with my experiences and my reality? Um, uh, I guess my work on and my interest in the body came out uh, was came under during my undergraduate um, when I was doing philosophy and psychology. I started in sports science, realized actually I loved I loved philosophy, and so I thought. Uh, I'll switch, <laughs> but I um, I was looking at um, anorexia, and um, and how the experience of the body um, could be understood kind of existentially. And it was like kind of like when you're an undergraduate and you're like, oh, I didn't know this, you know, I didn't know this thought, and I didn't know this experience. And so I was reading Kierkegaard, and I just felt like, oh. Kierkegaard was making sense of the experience of an eating disorder. And I, I've had an eating disorder before. And I thought, oh, he's making sense of this lived experience. Um, and not only my my lived experience, but but this lived experience before God and and how we can both despair and hope. And 
and and also that it's not just in our minds but but that it's happening in our bodies and i found that really exciting i think it was like an excitement there so you're sort of saying that philosophy helps us with our experience our lived experience which is not something that um that in people would immediately imagine so i mean tell us a bit more about how kekyan mm. helped the lived experience of somebody living with anorexia how did that help mm. i think i mean i think people uh, often read kierkegaard um therapeutically which i know is that you know there's problems with that um but i think what kierkegaard did was give a language for the paradoxes of experience um that that you can experience suffering whilst also having hope okay that yeah. um that there's these paradoxes of 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 being human um that incorporate the the body as well and our experience of the body and i think it, especially in, in eating disorders there are all these paradoxes mm. of how we see the body versus how the body really is um and i think that's also with our life with with jesus there's there's these paradoxes in in how 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 we know ourselves to be in him and also how we're living <laughs> that out in in um <laughs> not always in synchronicity <laughs> so in a way it's a way of saying that suffering and hope can coexist at the same time rather than being somehow kind of alternatives you're either suffering or you have mm. hope it's a yeah. way of actually sort of saying that they they can coexist within the same experience within the same body at the same time and yeah. that's the least and which kind of had resonances too to i'm thinking of you know martin luther's definition of the christian is at the same time righteous and sinful mm. um these are not kind of alternative you're either righteous or you're sinful but you're kind of somehow both at the same time uh, you know that it echoes into you know christology that christ is both human and divine at the same time uh, and so on and so um yeah i can see some really interesting re resonances there as well yeah and and and, and so for you, sorry graham so, so no, no, for, okay. for you, all yours all yours thank you you can tell we're overexcited and i can't <laughs> i mean so for you the philosophy was sort of illuminating and giving you language for talking about your embodied understanding does it work the other way as well does our lived experience enable us to access philosophy in a different kind of way i'd like to think so i mean i come from the i, I found the, the the phenomenological tradition really helpful because merleau ponty has this amazing view of how how our bodies mediate perception and 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 how actually consciousness is mediated by the body it's not a separation of you know you know pure reason kind of but actually our, we're we're being you talk about you know be, being touched and touching that that our experiences with the world are actually shaping us and affecting us and and that involves the body and i and i think that there's there's something really uh key in 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 that um yeah understanding that he gives and Danny, you've got a you've got a recent book that has just come out called um embodied trauma and healing and um i was struck by the first phrase in the preface of that i think which is um which is a question uh, what if philosophy could solve the psychological puzzle of trauma um and i was kind of intrigued by that that question because those things you wouldn't normally put together the idea of philosophy or even theology as being the answer to trauma 
Um, mm -hmm. I guess the, you know the most uh, you know most recent encounter with trauma I've had recently is the you know the um, the Grenfell Tower fire that, that that happened in one of the parishes that I was responsible for as Bishop of Kensington and and therefore come to know quite a few people have been through a kind of community that's been traumatized mm -hmm. and individuals for whom that experience and the aftermath of it, of it was deeply traumatic. And I guess, you know, philosophy and theology would not be the first place they would necessarily go to to find a kind of answer and a, a resolution of that trauma. Just say, I'd, I'd love you to talk a bit more about that and how you follow that up and what resources theology and philosophy can bring to the experience of trauma and how you play that out in the book. Mm. I think it's a it's a bit ambitious and and whether one actually does it in the book is you know another question. Um, but no, I'm being ambitious. I think, I think um, what I felt like philosophy did. Um, uh, I was working with survivors of trafficking. Um, I run a small organization that works with survivors of trafficking, particularly using the arts and movement. Um, and I was training in somatic experiencing, which is a body-based psychotherapy. So I kind of there was this interesting thing about the body and actually how the body itself stores trauma. And Bessel van der Kolk, who's pretty well known in terms of the body keeps the score. There's all this emergent work on how the body is the site of uh, trauma symptoms and also uh, um, storing the trauma in the nervous system. And this kind of contrasts with the earlier psychoanalytic accounts where trauma was being processed in, in language. And so we kind of had to have this narrative catharsis in order to um, heal our trauma. Um, and I think um, what I found interesting is uh the tricky thing then there is that 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 trauma can't always be spoken so the the problem of language emerges in 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 purely psychoanalytic accounts and of course modern psychoanalysis acknowledges this and all this stuff but but what i thought oh <laughs> in terms of philosophy i was like well this is really interesting because this is really what someone like emmanuel levinas in jewish philosophy and some of Kierkegaard is doing in existential philosophy and Bruno Ponty in phenomenology, they're, they're actually looking at the limits of language and they're also looking at the role of the body in suffering. Mm -hmm. And so whilst we were having kind of discussions in, you know, psychoanalytic theory and somatic experiencing theory about this is the way forward to treat trauma, what I felt like philosophy was doing was was just kind of holding space for for the both and that we don't just have to reduce it to the body um there is also an account of the language um the imagination paul recurs work on the imagination and hope that became the central feature of this book actually there's a role of the imagination in imagining um beyond the fragmentation of the self in trauma mm. um but we can't have a false hope we can't just like we can't have a cheap hope because because the reality is so fragmented the trauma is so real um so how do we how do we kind of do this work that incorporates language the body uh um and a possibility of hoping beyond the situation um and I felt like philosophy, particularly continental philosophy, 
was able to kind of hold this ambiguity because it felt like trauma has so much ambiguity and it felt like um this particular these these conversation partners so it's Merle Ponty, Levinas and Paul Ricoeur were able to kind of hold this relation this uneasy relationship of trauma um less to cure it because i think curing is a problematic concept i mean the whole idea of healing what is healing um and more to just um understand it try to understand it so what difference has that made with the work that you do with um i mean you've done quite a lot of work with women who've been trafficked haven't you yeah. um has your um how does your holding that um, hugely important space of ambiguity help with that interaction? What's the interaction between mm. Mm. Um, body and philosophy in in the work that you actually do? Mm. I think it, one of the one of the things it did is it humbled me yeah. to say, oh, I can't do everything," and there's lots of experts doing things. So whilst we were trying to, you know develop a center and you know like create all these different kinds of workshops we were like no other people are doing this um what can we do and and i think what i realized was something that incorporates the imagination and the embodied experience and that's a very small thing we also realized i mean we were terrible at fundraising <laughs> so you know as artists but um but but there's something there so so what we we started to do more of is so i run um pilates I, I teach classical pilates and i studied somatic experiencing so i offered trauma-informed pilates sessions um particularly for sex um trafficked women where the agency of the body has been severely compromised the sense of of self uh of the body's limits um all of these things that Merleau-Ponty is actually talking about mm. um I tried to filter it into a structure for for developing a trauma-informed Pilates program so I've been doing that and then um we've also been just working kind of more on developing the survivor's own agency so it's like the survivor is the subjective person the, the is the person who has been traumatized I mean my my argument in the book is that trauma is highly subjective in terms of how it's under experienced and so rather than kind of pulling out the you know the trauma story of the survivor kind of looking at how can the survivor become develop their own sense of agency mm -hmm. and their own sense of creativity their own sense of um of of holding their suffering um and i felt like the arts was a particularly important space for that so we've been working with survivors to become playwrights in their own right you know um where yeah they they communicate what they kind of want to do and we kind of get on board and try to help yeah fascinating and i found myself as you were talking about that anna um i guess switching slightly from a sort of philosophical to a theological register for a moment um Thinking about resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus, is, is, and, and I'd just be interested in your, your thoughts on the connection between what you've been talking about and, and that, because it seems to me in the resurrection body, you, you've got the, the body of Jesus, 
mm. um, which is not, of course, you know, simply laid in a tomb to rot. It's it's resurrected, but with the scars of trauma still mm. present. Um, and resurrection is right at the heart of Christian hope as well. It's what brings mm. a sense of of hope, but a hope that is mm. the kind of regathering of the sort of broken body of Jesus, as opposed to just mm. the erasure erasure of suffering and mm. the struggle and the past of the cross and so on. Um, so, I, I don't, is that something you you mm. thought about and related to and develop a little bit in the book? I mean, I wonder what your thoughts are. If, you, if, mm. if philosophy gives a framework. Um, for re, re reimagining, recasting trauma and, and enabling a form of kind of agency. Now, does a resurrection add something to that? Does it kind of you know how does that work in that space as well? Mm. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so I don't really address it in the book, just because it's um, this kind of continental f- philosophy. But mm. but it's. I think, I mean, Jean-Luc Nancy talks about it and, and he, we were just doing it in our seminar in, in master's module, um, about how the, the body of Christ, like, how do we even think this body, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's like almost an affront to thought the the over muchness of this body and what it means and how we even understand it. Um, and how it's sacrificed and, and all this and um think about that in terms of the resurrection body it's like i feel like it's how how can we even think it mm-hmm. that that this resurrection body is scarred mm. and this is like um <laughs> it's it's all it's baffling it's um it's wondrous Mm. um and and it 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 kind of presses to the limits of language and what is is even thought i think i mean maybe this is this is not a helpful answer but but just that actually christ in presenting himself with resurrection scars and actually that i think that thomas had to put his finger through the trauma wound. Mm, mm. I think there's something in that that's really mm. important, and that God comes knowing that sometimes we need need to put our fingers in like that was traumatic, God. Yeah. And that was and 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 God is like, yeah, I I know I know I know that that. Yeah. Um, I, I find that, yeah. If if sacramental language helps there, because that's one of the things that struck me when you were talking about um, both um, suffering and hope, the same space. That's exactly what's going mm. on at the table, isn't mm. it? We are mm. in, you know, we are uh, acknowledging um, our part in the suffering of mm. Jesus and the suffering that Jesus um, undertook on our, our behalf, mm. but we're only doing it because mm. Jesus was raised. Um, so, mm. so um, at mm. that um, central mm. act of the Christian faith, we're 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 living both, aren't we? We're living mm. both um, mm. the, the the broken reality and God's mm. transformation of it, which doesn't, mm. un, as Graham said, doesn't undo mm. that. 
Mm. And then we're adding, we're putting our stories, our individual stories into this bigger space, mm. which is mm. which is God's narrating mm. um, of despair and hope, pain and mm. hope at the same time. Mm. Perhaps. Sorry, I think that's central to Paul Ricker's, um understanding where he says for him hope is this this that there is a possibility of life beyond death mm. and so in terms of his understanding of hope there is a there is this sense of the the this this beyond that 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 death is not the finality and i think levinas talks also about how how death um that this is well i mean maybe this is this isn't helpful but the the this 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 problem of, of murder being the annihilation of that which cannot be annihilated because of the infinite in the other and this i i there's maybe there's something there um yeah yeah because yeah, i guess in those sticky those resurrection stories there is the, the the trauma that happens to the body of jesus in being crucified and a spear stuck in his side and and um, nails through his wrists and feet and so on. There's the kind of trauma that happens there. But there's also the trauma of the disciples too, isn't it? Having observed that and watched it. And you were mentioning that. Thomas having to put his finger into the, the site of the trauma of, of Jesus. And, and you're kind of playing with trauma on both sides of that. But I suppose my, my other thought arising out of that was, was that, that perspective the New Testament has that, that, that God raised Jesus from the dead. Um, he he didn't raise himself, as it were. Um, and that actually it was God. God raised the dead Jesus to life um, and to a new life beyond the old. Well, not back to a kind of previous life, but something beyond that, which is still bears the scars of the trauma. But and in, in a sense, you know that, that the risen Jesus now has agency, um, which is given to him by by God. And I wonder whether that brings a perspective of resurrection. Um, you know, it is a, is a is a sort of sign of the the re-giving of agency that you know you don't have to kind of just mm. summon this up from yourself mm. after a trauma, mm. traumatic experience mm. because that can be quite a disabling thing to say to people you know pull mm. yourself together you know sort yourself out sure you can get on with things um mm. that's actually not what happens to Jesus he doesn't raise himself from the dead um mm. the God raises him from the dead and therefore he's given agency by the gift of God which is the mm. gift of, of resurrection life. And that gives us a paradigm for thinking about, you know, it's away from a sort of rather Pelagian idea that, you know, the, the victim has to sort themselves out and, you know, mm. get back to, to agency. But, you know, there's a perspective that, that there is a power at work in the world, uh, which is the power of resurrection to bring life from death, to bring, um, uh, to bring a measure of, healing from and, and hope within suffering and so on um i don't know whether that mm. makes sense of, of some of the things you're talking mm. about as well mm. yeah definitely and i feel like that that is really seen in, in kierkegaard's narrative of that we are at once both becoming ourselves before god and we have already become there's a new creation mm. um and it's like it's like <laughs> i mean Kierkegaard is this path of suffering as we recognize how 
who we really are um and this path of kind of recognizing who we really are, really are whilst also already being received and actually um he he talks about how god is that all things are possible and this idea of the possibility of god entering the 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 limitation of the finite space and the finite condition um which which actually enables the agency yeah yeah, yeah. and i i'd like to ask a little bit about your um your music as well Anna. i mean how does um i mean do you, are those separate parts of your life he's a musician who writes music and performs it and so on and your work as a philosopher and theologian or do they connect in some way i mean he talked about um working with traffic women and and that you know um giving agency of, of of being involved in the arts and so on is that one of the ways in which it happens but i'd love to know your 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 sense of the connection between these different parts of your life i think it started with it just brought me joy um and uh but i think what i realized is it's almost like a it's a like a three-pronged methodology so you've got the theoretical you've got the movement um and you've got the the music um and actually that they're doing the same thing i think um but in different ways so when, when i was doing my phd i wrote an album and I was and it was really I was really reflecting on what I was what I was kind of thinking through the really conversations I was having with people and um in a in a in a different way I think yeah yeah so it's not Merleau Ponty and the phenomenologist put to music yeah <laughs> hopefully hopefully not so dull <laughs> Yeah. yeah, we're looking forward to Kierkegaard the musical coming out sometime yeah. soon. <laughs> that would be right. That would be fun, exactly. Yeah. Well, Anna, it's been really fascinating to talk today. And um, um, if, if people wanted to to um, access some of the work you've done, I mean, both you know musically and um, in terms of your academic work, I mean, what where, where, where would you suggest people start reading around this area of you know of, of um, trauma and philosophy and so on? Both stuff that you've you've written and others as well. Those um those amazing. It's just amazing. I think there's amazing work being done in this field at the moment. That feels really humbling. Um, I think it, uh, the body keeps the score is a great, great starting point for people who are interested in trauma. Um, also, the classical works by Freud and um, mm. uh, Bettina Bergeau at University of um, uh, Montreal has done an amazing co-authored a book on trauma uh, and philosophy. Um, and then my book on trauma came out with Routledge and also a book on uh existential phenomenology of addiction um yeah okay. so, so yeah. you've got your book embodied trauma and healing critical conversations on the concept of health which is um published by routledge is that right yeah. um and uh uh i'm just checking the the title of your book on addiction as well remind us of that um the existential phenomenology of addiction there you go existential <laughs> phenomenology of addiction yeah very good. And in terms of music, if people wanted to kind of access your music as well, or do you go to find that? Uh, you could do, you could check on Spotify, Anna Weston, or okay. annaweston music.com. 
Yeah. So Anna Westin, so it's W-E-S-T-I-N, not O-N. Mm. So um, if you're looking into that, Anna Westin, um, music would be a great way to go. Anna, it's, it's fascinating to talk to you. Just again, a reminder, Anna teaches at Simulitis College in, um, uh, and sure you're based in the East Midlands, aren't you, in, in, in teaching there as well, which is very good. Good. Um, so Jane, any any last questions, comments from your thoughts from you? Uh, I, I mean, there's so many, there's just another whole subject area. I, I mean, I think I'd love to ask Anna about how um, we, as Christians, make more sense of our bodies and, um, uh, and, and acknowledge that we only learn in our bodies. We can't, there's no disembodied learning. And I don't know that as churches we've always been very good at Mm. acknowledging that um, mm. um so you know a, a course on you know christian mm. bodies anna mm. <laughs> uh, would be fascinating yeah that's mm. your next task anna working out <laughs> how christians can engage properly and well healthily with the body because um yeah i guess christians have always had a slightly ambivalent relationship with the body haven't we as a site of you know temptation and difficulty and yet of of, of, of createdness and so on as well. So that's like that's one of the tensions. Or, or sometimes treated it as though it's irrelevant. So somehow there's yeah. some part of us that isn't affected by mm. being embodied. And that's we just know that's mm. not the case. Mm. Um, yeah. No yeah. disembodied self. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Any final observations on that question, Nana, before we go? Uh, well, I think, I mean, I think it's really interesting because I feel like it also ties in with your work, Jane, and, and just even your the appreciation of of art and, and senses, um, sensibility in the understanding of, of the holy. Um, and um, yeah, I think I think it's, it's funny how um, Christian thought has been perceived as being kind of antibody when when it should like i mean it's kind of rock and roll that the spirit you know came into a body of a human being mm -hmm. um so i'm very interested in that yeah, yeah. <laughs> fascinating well we could go on as always with god pods we could go on a lot longer than we do but um we're trying to st stick to our time and um anna we are really grateful to you for joining us today and um thank you to you and uh, also to jane lovely um, to be here great discussion thank you. yeah and thank, thank you, thank you so all much. out there for listening today and um it's been great spending this bit of time with you we'll be back with another episode of god Bob before long and so until then it's goodbye from all of us that was god pod a podcast from st paul's theological center if you want to send us a question just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.